Shaw's Law Podcast. I'm your host, Robert Shaw. Today I have with me PD Webb, aka Above the Break Three. Uh, how's it going, PD? It's going great. Thank you so much for having me. Excited to get into some draft talk. Yeah, we're just gonna chop it up about. Uh, I, I'd call these larger draft storylines. We're not gonna get super in depth, which is actually your specialty. Um. So my first question is a very simple one. If you were the Timberwolves, who would you take number one? I would probably take LaMelo Ball. Um, why is, uh, what is it about LaMelo? I think that provided that I have to take a pick, because I think that they're at the level where, um, you know, a later pick and, and a player is more valuable to their long-term development. But I think that with LaMelo, um, he can reduce D'Angelo's uh, creation burden. Um, he has, to me, a clearer upside bet than Anthony Edwards. Um, and the things that are issues in his game are the most fixable. Uh, what would those issues be? I mean, I think everybody sees the uh, the shooting uh, form and the shooting numbers and has questions. Um, and I think that it's going to be essential for his... Uh, rising to a level of stardom that he can at least shoot off the dribble threes um, just so that teams can't uh, crowd him into, you know, floaters or these high difficulty shots off the dribble um, from 16 to 18 feet. I wrote a piece for the playgrounder.com where I made my case for Anthony Edwards. And I just think that he might be a smoother fit in Minnesota, but from a talent perspective, I believe Mello is the best player available. Does that reflect your big board at all? Um, I think that I would still have Mello above Edwards. Um, I think that what's most important when evaluating Minnesota's uh, situation is exactly what you have on your hands. So how much of a point guard do you think that D'Angelo Russell is? Ooh. That's a case for another day. I mean, these are the questions that you have to ask. It's not just the circumstance of what are these players. It's what are the players that you have in your stable? Um, how committed are you to them? And how fungible do you think their development is? Um, so my point with that is I think Cat is still the franchise player no matter who you take at one. And him and D'Angelo Russell seem – they're apparently very close. And if it doesn't work, if a mellow Russell fit doesn't work – I don't think you can move Russell without the fear of later on the line, later on down the line, Cat being upset. Yeah, that's uh, that's the danger of uh, mixing uh, personal and business. Is that if business doesn't work, you might have personal feelings to step on. Um, it's certainly uh, one of the most exciting number one picks because there's so many different directions, and of all the drafts to to have uh, intrigue for fit. It's this one, a draft where you can ask 10 different people and get 10 different opinions on who the five best prospects are. Last time we had that, would you say is the 2013 Anthony Bennett draft? I would say so. Um, I think that this draft is a little higher at the top end than 2013 was. Um, but there is, you know, once you get to about four, there is a pool of guys where from four to 15, you can probably get the same quality of player or the same uh percentage that that player is going to be a star and that's just the most fascinating stuff to me all right um can you make the case for james wiseman with a top three pick 
I cannot. <laughs> I, I actually really like that answer. I'm not a believer in drafting a big over comparable wings with the way the NBA is played today. Unless that big is going to be one that I can completely run my offense through like a Towns or an Embiid or a Davis. Um, so where is Wiseman on your board? Um, so I would say that Wiseman falls into that third tier of guys for me. Um, and no one is hurt by the idea that this is a weak draft more than James Wiseman. Because James Wiseman has the label of he's the best big. He's the one we have a conversation around. Um, and James Wiseman is a developmental prospect. Um, even in high school, there were, um, you know, watching his AAU tape, there's moments where he doesn't catch the ball on lops. There's difficulty with uh, executing pick and roll scheme. This isn't just a avatar for the larger big debate. This is a player who needs a drastic amount of work. And any year where um, there's five good players and James Wiseman, you know, five good guaranteed NBA players and James Wiseman, he goes to a situation that um, doesn't need him to produce right away. Unfortunately, it seems as though he may go from anywhere from two to five, which is going to be a circumstance where he is expected to produce right away. And after missing essentially a year at Memphis, um, there's no guarantees that he's going to be a difference maker early. Uh, you said there were five good players and then Wiseman. Uh, just for the people that are listening, can you give me your five? And then Wiseman is obviously sixth for you. Um, I would say that it would be Killian, Lamelo, Ant Edwards, uh, Devin Vassell. And then that's where it kind of gets fuzzy. I'd probably have Wiseman about there for like a, just an average NBA team um, with specific teams, like teams that would play. Uh, high aggressive blitz or hedge coverages like Wiseman is off the board because those are things he's not physically capable of doing at this moment. Um, for those that haven't seen a lot of uh, Killian Hayes, can you give us a quick breakdown of him? Yeah. Uh, Killian is a left-handed uh, point guard. Um, he can be used as a, as a one or as a, as a secondary guard um, somewhere in, if you're a comparison person, um, he's sort of a midpoint between a D'Angelo Russell and a uh, Goran Dragic in terms of craft, um, in terms of, of using big sidesteps and being a, uh, a lefty who operates best out of pick and roll. Okay. Um, I like that you just followed uh, one of Mark Cuban's rules when making draft comps, going cross-racial. It's super important, uh, especially now that we live in an era where European dudes don't all look like American white dudes. So now it's going to be really difficult people who, you know, need the to have a, a, a same race comparison. Like you're going to have guys uh, like Victor Wembiyama, who's probably uh, one of the best prospects in the world, is, you know, uh, a seven foot plus black dude. And we're going to have, you know, people who are going to have problems comparing him because they want to say he's a European guy. So it's got to be a white guy. All right. And just to harpen back to Aiton real quick, uh, not Aiton, Wiseman real quick. I have a couple of names for you from the past few drafts. Could you sort of just rank this group for me as far as prospects when they came out? Um, DeAndre Ayton, Mo Bamba, Jackson Hayes, and Jaron Jackson Jr., along with uh, James Wiseman. Okay, so Ayton and uh, Jaron Jackson Jr. would be your first tier. Okay. Um, then I think there's a blank tier. Then Bamba... Tier, Hayes, and Wiseman. So, from what you just said, if Jackson Hayes was in this year's draft and not last year's, 
you think he would be drafted ahead or he would at least be ahead of Wiseman on your personal big board? Yeah, because I think that with Hayes, he's so much more of a clear role player. Hayes is never going to be expected to be a uh, franchise changer in the way that like Wiseman has always been talked about. Um, and Hayes is an energy big, which is so much easier to drop into, you know, an initial second or third um, big on a depth chart where Wiseman needs much more field development because he sees himself as a primary or secondary option, um, which is going to be a difficult thing to uh, develop where Hayes is just, you know, run hard, roll, and uh, jump as high as you can, try to uh, thump it on somebody. Okay. So in moving on from Wiseman, I do want to touch on uh, his uh, his teammate, Precious Achua, who has been seen by some as a lottery type. Where is Precious in relation to... Where does Precious fall on your board? Precious is, is interesting because he can really move his feet. Um, he is a perfect small ball five. Um, the issue with Precious is that he may think he's a wing. And there are teams who view him as a wing. I would... He is a uh, a small ball for like ten percent of the time, and I would use him as a five. Uh, the other ninety percent, um, he's worth a late round pick. Um, I would say Precious should start getting looks from twenty seven or twenty five to about thirty, um, depending on team. Uh, there's rumors about him going top ten, and uh, to me, that's that's a little far fetched. Um, but in this draft, if you believe that you have a player with potential who fits a scheme, like getting value regardless of where it is on your board is the most important thing. All right. It, I'm glad that you mentioned that you would play him as a small ball five. That is where he saw the bulk of his success. Like his numbers took a dramatic jump uh, once Wiseman left and he was primarily the five for Penny at Memphis. And you think that is a lot more indicative of what his NBA role should be. Yeah. I, I've never particularly seen the perimeter skills um, and his style of athleticism and his motor um, stands out versus fives whereas fours. He loses a little bit of that athletic edge. Um, And there's also um, as a offensive five, he can, he can have less. There's less chance that his flaws get exposed as a five versus a four. Okay. Um, do you have a player that you're much higher on than other uh, media sites or other draft nicks? Um, Alexei Pokashevsky um, is probably the answer. Can you tell us a little bit about him? Uh, physical profile, uh, strengths, weaknesses, and where he played last? So he played in the Greek second division. He is Serbian. Uh, he's a seven foot tall wing. Um, uh, his weakness is that he doesn't have any strength. Uh, his strength is that he is a giant guard um, with an extremely high skill level um, and uh, a pretty insane mentality for playmaking and uh, aggressiveness that you don't generally see out of like young, skinny uh, wings. Um, I'm trying to think of... So from your description, he sounded like the player the Nets drafted last year with uh, their late 20s pick. I'm drawing a blank on his name. Oh, boy, I should have pulled up the roster. 
But so he played in the Greek second division. Who have we seen from that Greek second division that played NBA minutes? Giannis Antetokounmpo. Um, I don't. Yeah, it's a, it's a hell of a name. I mean, I think that it's been a long time since we've had an actual mystery man. This is the hardest that I've ever had to hunt for a player's tape. Um, and there's some strange stuff happening um, with uh, Alexi's like club situation. He's good enough to play at a higher level, but the team doesn't really have any uh, inspiration to move him up because he'd be, an, he'd be an NBA player faster. So he's on sort of a minutes restriction in Greek second division. Uh, it, it leads to him uh, doing some very teenage things with the ball, like trying to throw passes that have no business getting attempted. Um, but I think that for a lot of uh, NBA people, the thing that you want to see is uh, like an audacity from younger players. You want to see players who uh, have a vision, who are aggressive and who are mentally prepared for you know NBA minutes. Um, the lessons of Dragon Bender have been widely learned of guys whose wiring may not fit uh, in the NBA because they're not able to handle mistakes. Uh, there is no concern for that with Pokashevsky. Now, where would you put Pokashevsky in the draft? If you were picking, what's, what's his draft range is my question. Uh, from 2 to 30. Oh, that's a very uh, wide range. Well, so the first question is, how would a team handle his strength and conditioning? Um, he's listed at 201 pounds. Uh, he is not 201 pounds, I would bet. Uh He's like very physically similar to Kevin Durant in terms of build. Um, and it took a long time for KD to add the strength level to get by guards. I don't know if you remember his first season in Seattle where like the handle was a really big issue because guards could just crowd him. The uh, handle good for Durant during the lockout season. That's the first time I remember thinking, wow, this guy really has like, it's a yo-yo now. The ball is now on a string for him. Yeah. But even before then, when it wasn't like on a string, if he got by somebody, they could just recover and bump him. So with Pokashevsky, there's a concern for that. Um, so the reason why I would have him wide is that if I had a physio staff, I trusted. And if I had a development plan where I could get him as many minutes as possible, both at an NBA and G League, I would take him like I would consider taking him two over Edwards. Oh, wow. That's very high praise. Uh, if I didn't really trust my physio staff, if I didn't have a pathway to get him a lot of minutes, whether it's through a G League uh, pathway or through you know the back end of my bench, I would probably have him in the 20s or you know late 20s. What um, I heard is, if I were the Knicks, I wouldn't take him. I mean, I really like uh, Kenny Payne is fantastic. Johnny Bryant is uh, about as good of a guard developer as you'll find. Uh, I haven't heard effusive praise for their new strength conditioning staff, but uh, all Tibbs does is watch tape and bench press, so maybe he has some pointers. So he's definitely a seven-foot guard, though. Yes. That is a very fun name, and I'm going to try and get some tape on him so I can be more versed next time. Um, do you have a small school guy that uh, people might not know about who you think could have a big impact in the league? Yeah, uh, TCU's Desmond Bain. Um, I know TCU has a, a little bit of a name when it comes to football, but uh, in terms of a basketball school, they don't really have a production list. Uh, Desmond Bain is the best shooter in this draft. Uh, he's a four-year guy um, who has developed each and every one of the four years. With older guys, there's always the concern that like their age cohort is in the NBA now, so they mm -hmm. should dominate. Um, 
but Bain wasn't the same player each and every year. From his junior to his senior year, he added a, a huge layer of uh, of passing, especially uh, out of pick and roll. And unlike a lot of other shooters in this draft, um, there is an extreme versatility to his shot selection. So he takes them coming off pin downs, he takes them off flares. There's off the dribble threes. Um, there's catch and shoots from the logo, like the the difficulty of shot matched with the elite percentage matched with the versatility. Um, and then you pair that with having, you know, uh, he's built like Mighty Mouse. He has, you know, a little bit shorter arms, but you're not going to bump him off any spot. He's a very good defender, you know, being a senior um, who has to take a lot of shots. He also had to, you know, quarterback defense. Um, so I think that when you combine the fact that he's going to go to a better home um, and the the intersection of shooting and like defensive awareness with a little bit of playmaking leads me to believe that wherever he goes, he's going to immediately contribute towards winning. Um, what's his physical profile? You said he had short arms. Or is he sub six foot? Is he? Give me one moment to, to pull it up. Okay. He's uh six, four. Um, oh, that's bigger than I expected. Yeah. He's six, four with like a, or six four and a half with a six four wingspan, so he's a minus uh, half an inch, but he's bigger than you would hope. Yeah, uh, no. And, uh, when you first described him, I started thinking uh, Carson Edwards. He's much bigger than. Oh, that. much bigger, but the same like chest heavy, core heavy, like not gonna touch it. Like anybody who bumps into him at an NBA level, that's generally his sort of archetype is gonna bounce off of him. Um, since we see a lot of you know bigger but skinnier shooters, it's nice to get like a weightlifter warrior who can also shoot the hell out of the ball. All right, and do you have any second-round sleepers? Um, the first one is Killian Tilly out of Gonzaga, um, who's only a second-round pick because uh, injuries are terrible. Um, but is if he were healthy, there's no doubt in my mind that he'd go top 15 in this draft. Um, and how high he goes is just going to be how much people can get value out of him. Um, he hasn't had a full, healthy year. Uh, his injury history is pretty scary. But I, I think he's like a 44% three-point shooter at six foot eleven, while being a good defender. And it's just every time that he played an NCAA game, it was unfair for him being there. Um, so he's somebody that will go in the second round because of the the medicals. But for a team that is willing to be patient and doesn't need an immediate result, um, I think that there is a long and successful uh, NBA career for Killian Tilly. Um, anybody else? Uh, Isaiah Joe, um, a guy with a pretty wide range of uh, outcomes. Some people like him in the late first. Some people, you know, have him at the, the bottom half of the second. Uh, shooter out of uh, Arkansas. Um, skinnier guy. Takes a lot. Like most of his shots are threes. Um, so he's already playing his NBA role. Um, okay, defender. Being on the skinnier side comes with its uh, defensive downfalls, but I think that he's a pretty smart defender. Um, he's somebody that I would really like in, you know, like Los Angeles, where you don't necessarily need him to make a ton of decisions. It's just, you know, sprint off and play the JR role where you sprint off threes. Uh, you make solid de- defensive rotations, and uh, every shot that you get has has to matter. And then the final one would be Yam Madar out of Israel. Um a.k.a. Uh, Israeli West, Russell Westbrook, um, one of the more fun uh, people to watch. I am intrigued by anything Russell Westbrook. 
Okay, so he doesn't have the athleticism per se, but the mentality is extremely Westbrook. Um, he loves to pick up 94 feet. Uh, he loves to just put his head down and try to barrel through whoever's there. Uh, he gave Denny Evdia a whole bunch of problems when uh, they played in uh, the Israeli league just because of the physicality from from a, from a guard. Um, he's somebody that might get picked and stashed this year in the first round. Um, if he had probably played at a higher level, he would have been a guaranteed first rounder. Um, the jumper is still a development in process. Um, the The percentages are pro- are worse than what you see when you look at it. But in a draft where there's not that many interesting upside bets, I think that Yamadar will probably play good playoff minutes eventually. Um, and this year's second round kind of has a whole bunch of either older guys who have one skill or uh, former RSCI guys who are flameouts. So I think that sort of shooting the middle with a guy who has a good track record of playing at a high level but still has some upside um, is going to surprise people. I think that you want to talk about Elijah Hughes. I do want to talk about Elijah Hughes. That's okay, where I was pitch talking. me on Elijah Hughes. Um, he carried a large role for Hughes. I I don't think I never see him in that role in the NBA, but as a spot up shooter, I think he can really I just think he can help a team as a spot up shooter who's not afraid to take one or two dribbles uh, attacking a closeout. Um, I do have some defensive concerns, but most of my defensive concerns come from dudes who play accuse in general. Okay, so I'm going to ask the same question that I have for everybody about Syracuse. Who's the second best Syracuse player in the Bayheim era? Um, my initial thought is Hakeem Warwick, but I might be missing somebody. Like, in terms of NBA guys, like, it's Mello, and then who's the second most impactful one? Yeah, I think it's Hakeem Warwick, but uh, maybe I'm missing somebody. I mean, like, the fact that we have to consider Malachi Flynn is a problem. Like, the issue with Syracuse defenders is that the scheme automates so much of their thinking. So that way, when they get to the NBA, there's a huge lapse. And especially for somebody who spent, you know, multiple years at Syracuse. That's multiple years. Yeah. Yeah. That's multiple years away from having to communicate and process, you know, uh, and the defensive style that the NBA uses. And even if he goes to an NBA team that plays zone, it's nowhere similar to the Syracuse zone. Um, so I know this is a little off draft topic but from the way you just spoke i assume you are very much a proponent of young kids playing almost exclusively man-to-man especially at the high school level yes i am that's what i thought uh it's it's a thing that if if high school had defensive three in the key i'd be fine with zone the issue is that it stunts developments um one can look no farther than michael porter jr who played pretty much exclusively zone in high school. Um, and uh, how's that working out for him, moving his feet uh, in the playoffs? Well, he's bad at rotations, but I still think the fact that he has Phil Jackson's back is also a major concern. Even before he had Phil Jackson's back, he had the same defensive stylings. As a person who watched Michael Porter as like a sophomore in high school, he was it's never once being asked to like really sit down and defend does things to your ability to defend in the future. Um, yeah, uh, zone, 
can help you win games, but it also is difficult for kids. Uh, my specific Elijah Hughes concern is that he is 22 years old and he didn't dominate college. Like he did good. Like he, he was a, an essential player. Um, he's a little bit streaky of a shooter. Um, you have games where he's six for 11 and then quite a few games that it's one for, you know, one for seven, two for eight. Mm-hmm. And um, a lot of those are on open shots. Um, it is a concern for me that he also uh, had a pretty low field goal percentage. Um, I would have liked an older guy to kind of live at the rim a little bit more. Um, I think that he's somebody who will like have an MTA career for certain. I just question um, how much of these concerns would be proven with like either a year overseas or a year in the G League. Um, where we can see it in a different environment, in a more pro, in a pro style environment, in a pro style environment, and with uh, different expectations. Like uh, I would like to see, you know, what you can only take threes or get to the rim looks like for him, um, and how, what that does to his field goal percentage. Um, obviously, one of the biggest issues with you know the current NBA system is that you see guys and doing things that like they will not be asked to do in college. Or not be asked to do in the pros. Like Precious Achua was probably going to be a three before Wiseman got hurt. And then he had to play the five. Uh, be, uh, once Wiseman uh, sat down for the season. In the circumstance where Precious was only playing the wing, I don't know if he gets drafted. You think he falls out of... Because he came in with lottery-type hype, and you think uh, playing the wing would have exposed a lot of the flaws in his game where he falls out of the draft. I mean, I don't know if out of the draft, but it's it, once you're into that second round as a, as a freshman, it's, it can be difficult to enter. Um, he is a, uh, an older freshman. Um, but college is obviously geared towards winning. And if, you know, pressures at the three is, is a good college team, but it doesn't show, it doesn't showcase his abilities at a pro level. Um, and there's so many circumstances like this um, where guys like, you know, there's this question with Kentucky every year where guys are, you know, we have Tyrese Maxey this year who, you know, uh, conformed his game to fit a system and the fit wasn't perfect. And it has, you know, damaged his stock from where he came into this year, like a top seven guy and left with a range of like from seven to 27, depending on who you talk to. Um, so separating the context uh, from the contents is one of the most difficult parts of uh, of this class, especially. So you brought up Tyrese Maxey, and for those that don't know, I'm a huge Kentucky fan. So where are you on Maxey? Uh, Maxey is probably my favorite of the like the true off guards in this class. You don't have uh, to say that to make me happy. No, no. Oh, I've I've been on the Tyrese Maxey trend for a long time. Um, I I firmly believe the shot making is a blip. Um, going back to the the EYBL days where he shot a good percentage, taking extremely difficult shots. Um, the set point's a small problem. Um, the biggest issue was that he was asked to uh, fit into a Kentucky backcourt that didn't make a ton of sense. Uh, specifically not having spacing for him to operate. Um, he's some, not somebody who creates a huge amount of separation uh, as like the true point guard. But when you move him off ball and you put him you know, in a system where there's uh, a jumbo initiator, uh, Tyrese Maxey becomes very special because that's a big, strong dude who just wants to finish at the cup, uh, is capable of making uh, good passing reads versus a tilted defense, 
and uh, can defend up in position because of his strength. I think that uh, for if I had a Jason Tatum or Giannis on my team, uh, yeah, Maxi's like a top five pick in terms of like who's the most valuable for my team because oh. that dude is that dude is going to contribute at a playoff level. Like if you believe that the shooting is closer to the uh, the EYBL numbers than the Kentucky numbers, that's an extraordinarily valuable player. So just so you hear it from me first, jumbo initiator is a term I will be stealing. I, I love that. Yeah, um, I mean, and luckily for Tyrese Maxey, there are a lot of them in this NBA, and every single one should have Tyrese Maxey high because he is going to make that player's life a lot easier. And I was going to ask, is his size a concern since you see him primarily as an off-ball too? But you answered that by mentioning that pairing him with a jumbo initiator solves that problem. Yeah, because at that point, positions sort of get all scrambled. And, it, you know, the beauty of Maxi is that you could also throw in another guard there. Like whether it's uh, a one who shoots, you could move him um, – you know, next to a bigger two and have him sort of play one, but he doesn't necessarily have the responsibilities of tilting the defense um, on a possession by possession basis. Like Tyrese Maxey is, uh, we talk about like the modern game a lot with bigs, but Tyrese Maxey is what the modern game looks like for guards that may not necessarily need to live with two feet in the paint as soon as you come off, come across half court. All right. And just, Tell me your Anthony Edwards thoughts in a quick 30-second thing, and then we'll do one more thing because I know your time is valuable. But I'd be remiss if I didn't get your thoughts on Edwards. Uh, can we do ceiling, floor, basement? Um, I don't know if that's – if you want to get good thoughts, I don't know if ceiling, floor, basement is going to do great. Um, so give it to me how, however you want. So the, the issue with Anthony Edwards is that um, – there is a concern about how he's wired um, because when you look at Anthony Edwards and the, like the highlights, you look at Anthony Edwards, like the person, and then you look at Anthony Edwards, the stats, there's a huge disconnect. Um, saying there's not enough dog. Is that what uh, I, I don't want to say? Okay. I don't want to say there's not enough dog because I think that that's can get reductionist. My concern is that um, like he had 33 points in the second half of the Michigan state game. Mm-hmm. He had four in the first half. This is a theme for Anthony Edwards, where things get a little bit out of hand. I mean, this goes back to, like, junior year uh, uh, Under Armour circuit, where, like, he has six points in the first half and then has 40 in the second. And there wasn't, like, a schematic shift. It's just that, like, a switch flipped. And he's like, oh, no, I'm just going to do this. Um, so I think that his approach um, needs to be adjusted. And I don't really have an answer for how that looks, um, because with... If you take Anthony Edwards really high, you know, you take him two, you kind of have to give him the keys. And it's hard to adjust somebody's uh, wiring on the fly when you can't really pull them. Because, it, I mean, it just doesn't really work in terms of, uh, hey, don't do that, but also, like, here's the ball again. Um, where if you take him, you know, not that he would fall to this circumstance, but, like, if he had to go seven, then you can give a different learning curve. So my concern with Edwards is how do you put him in an environment where you can enforce the good behaviors which is like the guy who can create a shot versus anybody and how do you minimize the floating and for situations like uh you know golden state that sort of makes sense like you can be like hey you can't float because there's two guys who uh will get shots and need shots so you can't you know have circumstances where you pass up open looks or 
uh, where you decide you need to shoot for five straight possessions. Um, I think that he's always, I don't see a circumstance where Anthony Edwards outright fails because he's too gifted. Um, I, the motor is a concern. Um, going to Georgia didn't particularly help him um, because he could have games where he had six points in the first half and like would play the second half. And lastly, just a couple quick word associations. I'll say something and you just give the first player in this draft that comes to mind. Love it. Best on ball defender. Isaac Crow. Um, best shooter. Desmond Bain. Felt like you told me that. Um, a combination of both. Uh, our best three and D prospect. Devin Vassell. And our best rim protector. Uh, Isaac Okoro. Maybe. I don't know. This this class does not have a particular, uh, like, a rim protector that I trust. Um, you have guys like Wiseman that are huge. But, mm-hmm. like, rim protection can come from other places besides your center position. And also rim protection volume is important. Like, the issue with Wiseman is that he can block a lot of shots at the rim because he allows a lot of shots at the rim because he can make a lot of mistakes in his pick-and-roll coverages. Or he doesn't rotate correctly you know, early in a possession, and that allows an advantage to be created that two passes later leads to uh, you know, a rim attempt. Um, uh, Okoro is uh, somebody who, uh, again, just built like a tank. Um, uh, engine that does not stop. Um, wonderful verticality. Uh, a lot of people just could not finish over him. Um, the arms are a little shorter than he wanted. If he was, if he had a different uh, like wingspan, he'd be somebody who would be in the number one conversation, um, just based on the defense. And even before we get to the shooting concerns, um, he's a dude that like flat out has won games. I think it, between high school and uh, and college, it, he. Did, he lost his last game in high school, his junior state finals, and then he didn't lose it all his senior year. And then for college, it, it took like four months for him to lose a game. And he went to like a you know a public school. Uh, he went to McEachern, and which is just a public school. It wasn't like he was at you know one of these superpowers. Um, so just a guy who knows how to win. Um, if there was a, a thing in this, uh, the biggest demerit of this class isn't star power; it's rim protection to me. All right. So, ladies and gentlemen, that was PD Webb on Twitter. He is above the break. You can subscribe to his Patreon. The $5 tier gets you all the articles, but the $100 tier means he will break down your game film like Draft Express. And let me tell you, if I wasn't a Brokey McBroke Broke, I would have been flooded him with my uh, game film. Yeah, um, the articles are always free. The $5 is more just, uh, you know, uh, it allows me to pay for uh, stat packages and video. Uh, you know, some of these overseas markets require a little bit of money to, to make the video shake out. Um, I think I do one, like, uh, dumb article every month, like, uh, which Pokemon would be the best defensive players, which I think I'm having out coming out this month. Wait, wait, that's uh, coming out this month? Yeah. No, but you're talking to a real-life Pokemon nerd. Okay, so uh, before we jump out, give me... uh, We'll go, like, the first 500 or so, so that's, like, up to Ruby. Give me, like, three good 
like defensive Pokemon, like good wingspan, like proper size. Okay, first, automatically, I feel like Mr. Mime is great. He's in a humanoid shape. It looks like those arms are kind of long. He uses, um, he can use both the walls. He can use a uh, light screen and barrier. I feel like he's an excellent point of attack defender. Okay. Um, who else? Snorlax is Big Baby Davis to me. Like, just... As, as a big boy. Yeah, just, like, eats up space. Like, there's just not a lot of rim. Mm-hmm. And I think I want somebody fast. I could see Blaziken as a really nice wing defender. Okay. Um, so... I was thinking like a Swampert was was probably in my five. Okay. Uh, that's those are some some strong legs. Um, I feel like you know he can he can move those puppies in space a little bit. I feel like. Um, what are your thoughts on Ditto? Because I mean, if you want to talk about mirroring somebody in space, that's a very literal. He can oh, move as well as you can. Brilliant idea! Like just shoot me an imposter Ditto that's. Mirroring every move, Kawhi, Kawhi Leonard is uh, imposter ditto. Look, I, I'm just saying it, it might not apply to the rules completely, but I think that in the spirit of things, it 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 works. So I did not know we were going to go Pokemon, and let me tell you, I could not be happier. So yeah, um, I'm hoping to have that article out in the next day or so, along with uh, a Killian Hayes breakdown that I'm most of the way through. Um, I think that I have 20 breakdowns up now. Um, including, uh, my main focus is on wings where, you know, it's between 30 to 50, uh, pages on, on, uh, wings with, I have two additional series, one on big defense. So, uh, how bigs in this class cover pick and roll. And the other one is on guard, uh, creation. Um, I think I have 15 prospects covered there. Um, so yeah, um, even if it's, uh, just a, a retweet that helps a lot. Um, if you want to throw me a couple bucks to, to hear me talk about star Wars or Pokemon, or, uh, I think I have a dungeons and dragons, uh, tabletop RPG based in, uh, Eastern European regional basketball up there. Are you uh, a Harry Potter guy? Uh, I, I am. I might do that next month. Okay. So when I'm not doing basketball work, uh, my other YouTube channel, I started a Harry Potter Pokemon crossover where Harry Potter, you basically build him a Pokemon team of six based on things from the books and the movies. That's awesome. So I'm glad we got to just nerd out real quick. After oh, yeah. Nerd it out on regular basketball. We got to nerd nerd. It's a, it's a, it's a 360 degree nerd off. All right. Well, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. I appreciate this uh, this opportunity to talk about uh, this extremely weird draft that we have, and to get into some uh, some some minor nerderies. Thank you so much. Thank you. And since our draft is not till October, I am going to try and schedule you closer to the draft to at least get your insight on what's who's moving and shaking. It is allegedly. Then it may get pushed back farther. What? I can get you on two more times before the draft? Sounds great. All right. Looks like we're going to have to talk Harry Potter next time. All right. Thank you. Uh, this has been the Shaw's Law Podcast. Thank you to our guest, PD Webb. Make sure you check him out on Twitter at Above the Break, as well as his Patreon is 
Oh, I'm sorry, Above the Break 3. And his Patreon is linked in his Twitter bio. Send him a couple dollars. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen.